The number 416-216-5910. A couple uh, websites you should be married aware of off the top. Fightformyltd.com and the injurycalculator.ca. Injurycalculator.ca. We'll touch on that here in just a little bit. Savannah, we always start every show with the uh, compelling week that was. Some cases that have come through your office and stuff you're still working on as well. Give people a... Uh, realistic flavor of the landscape out there. What's going on? Thanks, John. It's been an extremely busy week uh, for people on disability contacting me and asking for advice, uh, listening to the show. And this is why we do this show, to make sure that people out there uh, have the information they need to deal with their disability claims or if they've been injured to understand what their rights are, what their obligations are as well under the law. So let's start off with the week that was and some questions that were sent to me. Uh, And let's start with this one that was sent to the website that we have, mydisabilityquestions.com. This one came from Tasha and Barry. She wrote, I was recently on LTD, long-term disability, and my employer switched management during my time on LTD. I had to sign over my confidentiality rights to allow access to my medical files. My claim has since been declined, and I filed a claim against my employer using your firm. So she's apparently an existing client. Okay. Uh, My issue now is that uh, both, uh, and she names the insurance company that she's dealing with, they have access uh, to all of her medical information and they continue requesting those medical documents from her treatment providers directly, right? Because she signed these authorizations and she says they don't have to, they don't have an expiring on them. And she says, I don't want the insurance companies to have access to all this medical documentation because I'm no longer on LTD. How can I legally inform them that I want to revoke their access to my medical information? This is one of the key aspects of having uh, a disability lawyer or an employment lawyer helping you here because if it was up to me and I was the one communicating with the insurance company, first of all, I would never have you, Tasha, sign these documents, these authorizations, allowing the insurance company to get all of this access to your medical files. There's a privacy issue here. I mean, that's just clear. But of course, you did that uh, because you didn't know that you didn't have to do that. With us, what happens is that the insurance company says we need documents X, Y, and Z from Dr. X, Y, and Z. And what we say is, well, first of all, we'll evaluate the reasonableness of your request. If we think you need those documents, we will get those documents We will read them first, and then I'll forward them to you. But certainly, under no circumstances should you give a blanket authorization to the insurance company to get whatever they want on you. It's a recipe for disaster. They're going to dig into your files as far back as possible and as far as possible into the future. Now, what I told Tasha and what I wrote back, and that's the beauty of this website, John, is that people can go on the website and see not only the questions, but my answers. Uh, What I told her is that she can simply advise in writing to the insurance companies, I am revoking my authorization. You no longer have permission. And if the insurance companies uh, don't do that, if they don't listen, if they continue uh, requesting documentation and using authorizations, which are obviously revoked, well, then they're in breach of her privacy rights and there are remedies for that. So very, very important to understand that you always want to make sure you limit the amount of information the insurance companies have. You don't just give them a blanket authorization. They don't have carte blanche. They They do not. Absolutely. Exactly. All right. So uh, this is an individual uh, who called in about his wife's long-term disability matter. She's been on long-term disability for about two years because she suffers from Lyme disease. Her benefits have been approved for the past, uh, for over the two-year mark, uh, which is significant because it means that she's qualified for the uh, benefits beyond that two-year date, right, where the definition changes. We talked about that a lot. Now, she hasn't been clear to return to work yet, but she's considering going back because she doesn't want to lose her job. 
Now, she's worried that if she tries to go back to work and is unable to fulfill her job requirements, she may jeopardize her ability to go back on LTD. And I get this a lot, right? People are afraid about their jobs. That's one of the beautiful things about our practice at the law firm is that we have employment lawyers and disability lawyers, and we work in tandem to make sure that the person is completely covered. First of all, she should not be going back to work if her doctors haven't cleared her to go back to work because she may be jeopardizing her health. So that's obviously the number one issue here. I always tell people, your legal rights come second, your health comes first. Secondly, the fact that she's trying to go back to work, if in fact she attempts that return to work, if she fails and it's fully documented, there is no reason for the insurer to say to her, we're not going to continue paying you LTD because really what she's done is she's tried to mitigate, right? And she has an obligation under the law to try to mitigate, to try and get better, to try and get back on the horse. If the insurance company turns around then and says, oh, wait a second, you tried to go back to work, you didn't succeed, you now no longer qualify, I can tell you, if we started a claim for her, it'd get resolved within days, if not weeks. Right. right? So not to worry about that. My only concern about, and I, I explained this to this gentleman, my only concern here is that she may be doing something that may harm her health, and you don't want to do that. Always concern your, your medical practitioner, right? They That's say, huge. Give it a shot, give it a shot. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, that, that's the thinking before we take a break here, and we've, you've talked so much on the show, is people think, you know, if I try to go back to work, it's going to look bad uh, that I'll get, get on my long-term disability. But you said, no, it's the other way around. It helps your case because it shows that you're trying to get off disability. So, therefore, if you can't, hey, she tried, she's doing something about well, it. Well, right? exactly. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about a case shortly where uh, there's a person who contacted us who has a lawyer, and that lawyer has been telling her to do certain things which are, are not kosher. In fact, those are things that are very concerning to me as a lawyer because it reflects back very badly on the industry, and it's going to taint her case. Those questions that uh, Savannah got to, mydisabilityquestions.com, you can answer your, or at least ask yours. It will be answered very promptly, as well as the injurycalculator.ca, which will we cover. Uh, find out what your pain and suffering could be worth. And we'll get to fightformyltd.com. There's all kinds of great stuff on the web uh, by uh, Savan's firm, so make sure we cover it all. And your questions and emails coming up here very shortly. Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. The number 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Savan, you got more stuff going on in your, uh, your docket there this week. What is happening? I do. Let's talk about a slip and fall. Uh, This is interesting. This is a lady who called me. She had uh, a a slip and fall outside of a mall back on November 19, 2015. Uh, Her foot got caught in a pothole. Uh, She stumbled. She hit her head. She was diagnosed with concussion. And we talked about this before. Concussion means brain injury. brain injury. Exactly. Very important to understand. It is a brain injury. Now, uh, she she retained a lawyer, and uh, that lawyer has started a claim, which is good, uh, for compensation. Uh, this lady has a few kids at home. She's uh-huh. unable to work. So it's been very detrimental to her way of life and put a lot of stress on her and her family. And she's been listening to the show. And the reason she called is because her lawyer, who shall remain Nameless. unnamed, <laughs> yes, right. told her, get this, John, to exaggerate her shoulder pain during discoveries, which is when you know she gets to tell her story about right. what happened and her injuries. And she didn't want to lie. Kudos to her. Why, okay? did, why did he say that? Well, he told her that because there are some lawyers out there, and again, that's one of the reasons why lawyers like myself oftentimes have to fight this, this stereotype mm-hmm. that you know, all we're after is the money. No, there's ethics involved. There's morality. The lawyer told her to exaggerate her pains because the thinking is that the more pain you have, 
the more the insurance company is going to pay out. But better, I'm not done. I'm not done, John. Better call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, apparently, uh, she wanted to try and apply for an upcoming full-time role at her work. Okay. So she tried to mitigate, yep. right? She tried to get back on the horse. Smart. Her lawyer says to her, don't do it. Stay at home. Don't try to go back to work. Amazing. I mean, so she has a lawyer, and unfortunately, it's, it, this is common. I do see it. And, you know, when I used to work for insurance companies, this is very, very simple stuff for insurance companies to figure out. This lady, because of this bad advice, because of this bad advice, she could have compromised her claim. And insurance companies keep tabs on lawyers. They know which lawyers are oh, ethical. Sure. They know which law firms are ethical. And they will evaluate the claim accordingly so that you, John, if you go to this lawyer who has a really bad reputation, reputation for lying, reputation for um, not acting above board, that will taint your claim because the insurance company is going to be suspicious of everything that your lawyer produces and says. On the other hand, if you go to someone with credibility, someone who has worked hard for their reputation, and there are a lot of those lawyers around too, uh, you know, that's going to go a long way. It's sort of similar to the analogy of a student in a classroom, right? First you work for your A's and then your A's work for you, right? The right. teacher get to know you. Just like here, insurance companies get to know the lawyers and the law firms. So they will put stock in what your lawyer says because they know that your lawyer doesn't act unethically. No, I mean, these so, are insurance companies. I mean, it's not their first rodeo, right? It's they can, not. They can smell a skunk a mile away, 100%. Right? And, you know, yeah. and the lawyers know each other. It's yeah. a small community. Right. Across the province, it's a small community. So I just wanted to bring that out because we're going to talk about this a little bit later on the show. Very, very important to make sure that if your lawyer tells you to do something unethical or to lie, do not do it. It's not all right. It's not okay. And it's going to hamper your claim. I'm guaranteeing you, your claim will go down significantly in value because as soon as something like that comes out, that there was something that was untruthful, Mm -hmm. it's going to impact your entire claim. Should she call him on and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I think it's unethical. She should absolutely okay. refuse to say that 100%. And, and I told her that. Uh, and I'm telling everyone out there who's listening, you have to make sure that you are truthful. That's really all you have. And John, in most cases, whether you're dealing with concussion or if you're dealing with chronic pain, depression, oftentimes these are types of impairments and injuries that you can't see on an x-ray. So right. all you have is your credibility. But if your lawyer tells you to do something wrong, I mean, it's, it's like your accountant telling you to try and skirt the law. Yeah. Don't worry about Revenue Canada. They're never going to find out. Oh, my God. If they find out, you have a mark on you. So forget about the fact that it's just immoral, unethical, and wrong. Mm-hmm. But you've just put a mark on your back for the rest of, of your life for when it comes sure. to CRA. And with this uh, stuff, with injuries and disability, you put a mark on your back with respect to your claim. What else you got going on? All right, so let's talk about this other disability case. So this individual contacted us. He's been on disability for one year and eight months. His case manager, the adjuster handling his file, told him that he cannot get LTD beyond two years, and he will be cut off June 19th of this year, 2017. Okay. Uh, So we've talked about that before. Now, this gentleman has OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and major depression. He's got family doctor that's supporting his disability. He's got psychiatrists as well that he's been seeing that are supporting his disability. Now, this whole two-year thing, again, let's make sure people understand, in long-term disability cases, policies distinguish between a disability for the first two years and disability beyond the two-year mark. So within the first two years, the test is generally... Can you do your own job? It's called the own occupation test. Can you do your own occupation? Beyond the two-year mark, it's can you do any occupation for which you are trained uh, or have education or experience? And, of course, the example we often give is of an orthopedic surgeon who has an injury to his or her 
fingers and that person is unable to do surgery because of an injury, well, for the first two years, he or she can't do surgery, so they meet the test. But okay. beyond the two years, they can go ahead and teach surgery, yeah. right? They're, they're trained for that. They have education. You know, they may not have experience, but they're able to do it. It's along the same lines of, it's, you know, you're not going to get them collecting garbage. Or, you got you know, it. But, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so what's concerning me here is that this person was specifically told by the insurance company that he cannot get disability after two years. Now, long-term disability uh, oftentimes runs until the age of 65. Mm-hmm. Some policies, it's rare, but some of them do have a time cap. So maybe it's two years, maybe it's five years. Sometimes it's even beyond 65. But, you know, it really disturbs me when the age is 65, the person is, let's say, 50, and they're told by their case manager, we cut everyone off the yeah. two-year mark. Don't believe that. Call us, email me, let me see the policy, let me see the denial letter, let me see the medical documents, and I will tell you within three minutes if you have a case or not. The number 416-216-5910, that email address is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to some of your emails as soon as we come back, and we'll get into the injury calculator as well. It's a tool you should be very familiar with uh, from this point on. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming right up. Talk Radio AM 640. The number 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to ask Savannah a question anytime, you can either call that number or use that email address. So there was an article recently uh, in the National Post. Uh, Tell me about it. All right. So this is interesting. It's a case that I'm handling, and uh, I just recently gave an interview also to CBC uh, in Nova Scotia and a whole bunch of other news outlets. Uh, It's garnered a lot of interest. Uh, The article itself, National Post by Joseph uh, Breen, essentially talks about this 28-year-old man who now lives in Florida. Back uh, in June of 2011, he had a fall, a fall in a restaurant. He fell about 20 feet. He suffered a traumatic brain injury and a spinal cord injury. Since then, he's been paralyzed from the waist down. Now, through his mother's work in Nova Scotia, they had insurance. And the insurance policy provided that if he has paraplegia, so he's paralyzed, he is, is, uh, then he would be entitled to $120,000 under the policy. Okay. Since 2011, they've been trying to get the insurance company to pay him that amount so he can put that towards treatments, home modifications, et cetera, et cetera. Life. Life. The insurance company has maintained their position, and they have gone through three rounds of appeals, right? We talk about appeals all the time. Three rounds of appeals before I was involved. And in each round of appeal, Mitch, Mitch Murphy, he's the young man, and his mother, Colleen, had provided medical documents and reports from his specialists in the States to the insurance company saying, Mitch is paralyzed from the waist down. He has no functional use of his legs. He's wheelchair bound. He's in a wheelchair at home and in the community. In a rehab setting, though, in a rehabilitation place, he often works with therapists. Mm -hmm. And he was even part of this neat uh, rehab program. It was in San Diego. And he was suited with an exoskeleton, almost like a Robocop suit, uh, that helped him ambulate. Ambulate is another uh, word for walk, artificially except that walk, artificially yeah. walks. Yeah. He cannot actually walk. He has no use of his legs. And if you were to look at the his pictures, which National Post, uh, you can actually see his pictures there, they're like toothpicks. There's atrophy. So this, this kid, 28-year-old young man, uh, is paralyzed for life from the waist down. And the insurance company is taking the position that because in a rehab setting, he's able to ambulate he does not meet the definition of paraplegia under the policy. Nice. Now, in none of the denial letters that I've looked at, 
do you actually see them saying that they've had their own doctors review the documents? So I don't even know. I, I don't see anywhere that says that the insurance company had consulted any medical professionals. They're simply not listening and they're disregarding the opinions of Mitch's specialists. And that's why this story has garnered such attention because, you know, people are just shocked. You're not dealing with a chronic pain condition, with depression, which, by the way, are serious. They can be very, very serious. But you're dealing with a spinal injury that's been documented. This kid, and again, I say kid, Mm -hmm. not in a derogatory way. He's a young guy. Paralyzed for life. Uh, Nice guy who will tell you that the most he feels in his legs is maybe a twitch here and there. But from the insurance company standpoint, he does not meet the definition of paraplegia because they say that he has some functional use of his legs. It's absolutely crazy. And he's and again, the the a thing you should earmark here is the fact that they've gone for three appeals. Yeah, they've gone for three and appeals. We've exactly. We've that. talked about a lot. Whether you're dealing with long-term disability or any other types of a disability uh, claim like this one, you know, these appeals. I'm never going to say that they never ever work because that would be an untruth. But I can tell you that in all my years of practice, and of course, I talk with the defense lawyers and I talk with other lawyers. You like were myself. on that side. I was on that side. It's very rare for these appeals to work because you're appealing it to the same people who cut you off. You're not appealing to an independent party. So all that happens is that you're delaying, you're doing a detour. Eventually, you get back to the exact same place where you realize, no, I need a disability lawyer. And that's when I get the call, John. And that's when I get the email. Or that's when somebody goes on mydisabilityquestions.com or fightformyltd.com. Right? If you don't know what that looks like, if next time you're at a park, you see a dog chasing its own tail around a circle... (laughs) That right there is an appeal process. But, 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 but you know, John, so, so it's, right. it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny to describe it like that because it's, it's so, in a way, it's humorous because of the image you've just yeah. described, but you're dealing with people's lives. And these insurance yeah, companies are just, they're playing a poker game. They're assuming that nine out of 10 people are simply going to walk away. And I guarantee you, that's probably not that far off. And if nine out of 10 people who have legitimate claims walk away, how much money is left over for the it. insurance company? You got it. Stand up for your rights. It's actually not that difficult. You're not the one that's going to be dealing with the insurance company. I will. My team will. You're not going to get that call from them anymore. You're not going to get that email from them anymore. We are the ones who are going to be between you and the insurance company. And that's where the playing field is leveled because no one is above the law. Insurance companies understand and know that. We'll take a, a quick break. We'll get into the injury calculator. Bounce over to some of your emails as well. 416-216-5910 is that number. And the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, Mayhem 640. The number 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce over to your email here. In just a moment, though, I did want you to uh, run through the injury calculator, let people know what that's all about. That's right. It's a fantastic online tool. Uh, It's free, it's anonymous, and it allows people who've been injured through no fault of their own to go to that tool to input some of their information. Again, it's anonymous. So you're just telling the calculator what kind of injury you suffered, where did you suffer, the date of the accident. Uh, And then what happens is the calculator runs through a database of cases, legal cases from across Canada, and it provides you with the range at the end uh, of the kind of compensation that you're looking at for your pain and suffering. So it's very important to understand this is not amounts that I've just come up with uh, out of thin air. This is based on legal research. We've inputted a full database of cases from across the country of people with similar injuries, 
And the calculator will then tell you, you know, your ankle injury, John, uh, it, from a compensation standpoint for pain and suffering, you may be looking at, you know, twenty to $40,000. Right. Uh, for a hip uh, uh, type injury, a fracture, you may be looking at ninety to one hundred and fifty thousand right. dollars. And again, very important to understand, you have these ranges because different injuries affect people differently depending on the age, sure. depending on a whole bunch of other factors. And again, this is just for pain and suffering. This is not for income loss, right? Perhaps you can't work because of your ankle injury or hip injury or shoulder injury. So for those kinds of more detailed analysis, uh, at the end of the calculator, when it gives you the result, can either shut down the application or you can click submit for a consultation and then I get the information and then we have a dialogue back and forth and I can tell you accurately or more accurately what you're looking at in terms of full compensation for your injuries. Injurycalculator.ca is the website. Check it out and uh, give it a run through. It takes about like 30 seconds to get it all done and then again at the bottom, like you said, there's a uh, button for consultation if you want to take it further. Uh, the email address is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Sam gets the opening call here for emails. Nottawa says, my wife has been on LTD, long-term disability, for over a year for uh, severe depression. Started a long time ago. Uh, really came to head just over a year ago when we lost a pregnancy. Her long-term disability insurer is ignoring what her psychologist is saying, which is she can't, can't go back to work right now and is telling her that we will be cut off her payments in less than a month. Can we do anything about it? Yes, absolutely, Sam. So the key thing here is that her psychologist is supportive of her ongoing disability. And that's really, really important because when I communicate with the insurance company, I want to go to them armed with the various health practitioners who are supporting my client's ongoing disability. It's very problematic, obviously, if you have a family doctor or a specialist that says, no, this person can go back to work because then the insurance company validly says, well, if they say you can go back to work, maybe you can. But in this case, clearly, we know what triggered the depression. We know um, that her psychologist is helping. So I'd want to see the reports from the psychologist. Maybe I would tweak some of them, meaning that I would ask a psychologist specific questions for the psychologist to answer. And then I would communicate with the insurance company. Now, Sam, you're saying that uh, you were told that the payments would be cut off in less than a month. It has happened before that we were able to intervene just in time and dissuade the insurance company from cutting the person off. It's actually happened to us a couple of weeks ago at the office. So I always offer people, if you're in that situation where you really are uh, concerned, you're panicked because you've been told your benefits will be cut off in a very short time from now, whether it's a few weeks or a few months, let me help. I'm not going to charge you a thing for it. Let me communicate with the adjuster. Let me see if I can get the adjuster to back off. And if I'm successful, you have peace of mind. And if I'm not, we've set up the case in such a way that now you have legal options. Whether you want to exercise those or not, those are up to you. But at least you're protected from all angles. Again, you're essentially leveling the playing field. The number 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We talk a lot about slip and fall and LTD. Uh, on the show, Mark from Pembroke writes in, says a friend of mine slipped on ice in a parking lot last winter, broke his ankle, needed surgery. He's got screws in there now. He's only 49 years old and works as an electrician. He's been off work and initially went on short-term and then applied for long-term disability but got denied because they said he didn't have enough medical proof that he couldn't work. Uh, if he wants to start a claim against the owner of the place where he fell, can you help him uh, with his long-term disability claim? Uh, well, Mark, so the question is loaded. Excellent, excellent questions, mm-hmm. though. Um, first of all, your friend uh, will have a claim against whoever was responsible for that place. We would have to do some investigation. We'd have to figure out 
what exactly happened there? Was there proper maintenance? Was there not? Was there a third-party winter maintenance contractor that did not do their job? That often happens. Was there a management company? So we have to make sure we identify all the parties. Now, it's very, very important as well to understand that the fact that the insurance company, the long-term disability insurer, says that he doesn't qualify doesn't mean that he doesn't qualify, okay? Don't take whatever the insurance company um, says as gospel, okay? Oftentimes, they will try again to dissuade you from starting a claim by telling you you have no chance of getting approved uh, or denying you outright. No, the question really is, can he in fact work? And that's a question that's going to be decided based on what the doctors are saying. Now, if he broke his ankle and he's got screws in there, he's going to have an orthopedic surgeon. Maybe he has a chronic pain specialist that's now assigned to him, uh, helping him because of any chronic pain issues that he's experiencing. You know, being an electrician, I mean, that's a tough job. I know some electricians, and you're on your feet. It's a physical gig. It's a very physical gig, exactly. So very important, Mark, that your friend contacts me off air. I can help him with all of these issues. And perhaps there are some employment issues here that we have to deal with as well, in which case I would get one of our employment lawyers involved, at least just to speak with them to make sure that we cover all our bases. So very, very important to understand that we need to get on this as soon as possible, uh, because the sooner we deal with it, the sooner we can get him the compensation that he deserves. You know, earlier in the show, a couple of segments back, you mentioned uh, you were talking about clients getting bad advice from lawyers. So, uh, you know, what kind of advice is, quote, bad advice? All right. Well, bad advice is anything that would register to you as being unethical or immoral. Okay. We all know what that means. Lying is bad. And it's bad for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is because it's just wrong, but also because it's not going to bode well for your claim. Again, remember, insurance companies are not dumb. Lawyers like myself are trained in the art of uh, assessing credibility, assessing whether something makes sense or not. We, we, that's what we do, okay? Now, a lawyer that's telling you to lie or to misrepresent or to uh, enter sort of the grayish area where, you know, you're bordering you on something that is wrong, massaging the truth, that's, there's, there's another element here. I mean, that lawyer is an officer of the court, Okay, that's how, that's who we are as lawyers. We're officers of the court. We have to represent you vigorously. And listen, I've been creative with my arguments. I always teach my lawyers that it's never black and white, right? There are arguments. That's the art of law. It's the art of advocacy. It's how creative can you be, the angles, right? But, but everyone knows that there's a difference between being creative and outright lying or massaging the truth to the point where, you know, not going to... Uh, bring politics into it, but, you know, alternative facts. Sure. Okay? There are no alternative <laughs> facts in law and, and in what we deal with. Okay, you have to make sure that you present the case to the best of your ability, and there's always an answer I can come up with. But to tell my client to lie, no, you never, ever do it. So if a lawyer is telling you to exaggerate or they're telling you uh, not to go to work or do something that may be good for you, uh, if they're telling you to misrepresent something to an insurance doctor or to not do this or not do that, that when you know it's wrong... That is a red flag. And if I'm you, I would question that lawyer quite vigorously. And I would be very concerned that that lawyer may be doing this across the board with his or her clients, which means that insurance companies are aware of that, which means that your claim may be tainted. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. We'll get to more emails and some uh, questions on pre-existing conditions as well as we continue with the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 416-216-5910 and help at the insurancelawyer.ca to email Savannah anytime. You can check out 
the injury calculator at injurycalculator.ca. Find out what your pain and suffering could be. And if you have any LTD questions, fightformyltd.com. That's a recent website and a very handy drop-down menu of five questions it will ask you and get you on your way before you make that initial phone call as well. Pre-existing conditions. Um, give the insurance company an excuse not to pay, really. But when does it actually uh, help a legal claim? Well, yeah, and there's a misconception there. A lot of times people think, oh, my God, I have a pre-existing condition, and that's it. I have no claim. No, 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 absolutely not. Uh, I mean, I can tell you my father went on a trip uh, recently, and he had uh, some heart uh, issues before the trip. And I advised the insurance company ahead of time, and, of course, they came back saying he's insured for everything but But, his heart. Okay? But that's, okay, that's normal. That's how insurance companies deal with these things. I don't like it, but that's how it is. But what happens if you have a situation, let's say a car accident, let's say you have a gentleman who's 45 years old who had some back pains two years ago, maybe even had some surgery on his back, but he's been okay since that time, but his back is fragile, more fragile than yours or mine, let's say. Uh, And let's say that because of this minor fender bender, fender bender, uh, he now has uh, problems with his back again, and maybe now he goes to his doctor again. And this problem that wasn't a problem after his last surgery now he has issues. Right. Now he can't go back to work. Now he has to go on disability. So that person may think, well, wait a second, I had these back issues before. Now I have back issues again. The insurance company is going to turn around and say, no, I'm no, no. I'm a marked man. Marked, exactly. These are yeah. pre-existing. Well, no. There is a principle at law that says that if you are vulnerable to a certain type of an injury, and that uh, injury was caused by a third party, someone else, in this case, somebody who rear-ended him, The law is not going to say that you, injured person, are responsible for being vulnerable. The law is going to say that the person who was responsible for the accident, it's on them that they injured someone who was already vulnerable. Right. That makes sense. Of course it makes sense, but but for most people out there, when they're thinking about pre-existing conditions, they think, oh my God, you know, I had a bad knee before, and now because of this fall, I have to have a new replacement, but the insurance company is going to say... You already had a bad knee. Exactly. And they do try that, do they not? A hundred percent they try that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's that's in their arsenal. That's what they do. I used to do that on behalf of insurance companies, but that's where when you get a good lawyer, and that lawyer sends you to an orthopedic surgeon who comes back and says, hold on for a second, insurance company... This person was doing very well. He was managing before your guy hit him. And but for the accident, he would have continued managing. And because of that accident, now he cannot work. He cannot bring in money to pay the bills, to pay the mortgage. That's on you. And so the insurance companies understand that. They know, they know that in those situations, they are the ones who are going to get hammered. So for people out there, don't assume that because you had a pre-existing issue and now you've had an injury that exacerbated it or made it worse, don't assume that because you had issues before, that's going to be to your detriment. That's actually going to help you. I was going to say, can it often sweeten your case? Yeah, well, well think about this way. Let's change the uh, scenario here. Let's say that gentleman did not have any issues with his back before, right? Completely healthy. And now he had a fender bender. And now he says that, oh my God, my back is so bad. Well, it's going to be more difficult to believe that this little fender bender caused you all this problem with your back. It's a lot easier to believe that if you take into account that the person already had back issues before. Right. right? It's logical. This is simple logic. Insurance companies understand that, but you need a lawyer who can frame the issues and the facts in a way that brings out the truth. Right? Will we're, it we're often, circling back to the truth here. Will it often uh, increase the amount of, of, of 
monies or damages that the person will receive because of the pre-existing condition, which is counter to what they would originally think. They'd probably get less if nothing. That's what they're thinking, right? It could. It could. And the reason it could is because the person is going to be less believable if they didn't have any issues with their back before the accident or with their knee or with their ankle. And here you're dealing with a minor accident. It's less believable that the person is that disabled. It's a lot more believable that the person is really disabled now because they're already vulnerable. So because of that, the insurance company is probably more likely to attribute a higher sum for compensation because they simply assume that, yeah, you were vulnerable through no fault of your own. Now everything blew up, everything yeah. exacerbated. We're going to pay you for your injuries. Right. But if you didn't have any pre-existing conditions and now you're saying because of this minor accident you can't work, makes no sense. So the insurance company may take a harder line against you. And this, again, is someone sometime when they have to call you because they're going to get that call from the insurance company saying, no, no, you had a pre-existing condition, you don't qualify. They're going to hang up and go, well, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm done. Exactly. They have to call you. Exactly. Right. We'll take a, uh, we'll take a short break, 416-216-5910. A few more of your emails coming through. Uh, fightformyltd.com is the website you should check out. And if you want to know what your pain and suffering could be worth, injurycalculator.ca. This is the insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email to get a hold of Savannah anytime. We're getting through a bunch of these uh, today as well. Sandra from Cornwall writes in, says, I've had a bad back since my 20s, but I've always been able to handle my work. I'm in the trade, so there's a lot of movement and carrying of equipment. About a year ago, I was in a car accident. I was hit from the back. I was in bed for almost a week, and I've tried to go back to work three times and every time I haven't been able to finish the day because of the pain, do I have a case given my back history? Well, there you go. There you go. All exactly. Right. We just talked about that, Sandra. Absolutely, you have a case, 100%. And you know what? The fact that you try to go back to work three times, the insurance company can't come back now and say you didn't try to mitigate. No one's thinking that you're just sitting on the couch doing nothing, you know, waiting for a check at the end of the day. People can see that you're trying. Very, very important. And you're saying you had a bad back since your 20s. Again, pre-existing condition. But in this case, it's actually going to work in your favor. I mean, I'm sorry it happened to you. That's, that's not good, obviously. Yep. But the fact that you had a history of, of a bad back and now it sent you over the edge that you can't work because of this, there is credibility. The story makes sense. It simply makes sense. As to whether or not the medical documents paint a different picture, I don't know. I would have to see. You know, what did you tell your doctor right after the accident? Uh, you know, what, what's happened in terms of rehab, chiropractic care, massage, all that kind of stuff. I would, would want to see it. But Sandra, 100%, 100%, you have a claim here. The question is, the extent of that claim, the extent of the impairment, will you be able to go back to work at some point? We don't know that. No one has a crystal ball, but we can get the process started. So give me a call or email me. Uh, at some point now or after the show and uh, privately we'll discuss it and I'll tell you what you need to know, give you all your legal options and then you can decide how to proceed. Sandra, 416-216-5910 is the number and you already know the email address as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We talk about settlements all the time. So uh, you settle a claim. So how does the process work? Break it down. How long does it take for the disabled injured to get their money? Can they, uh, can they restart the case later? All that stuff. All right, so settlements uh, essentially break uh, the 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 um, don't break the case. Sorry, I was going to say they break the case. They right. they cut the case. They 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 end the case. Nice. They 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 cut the umbilical cord with the insurance company. Uh, generally speaking, so you know you gone to mediation or your lawyer had settled the case. You should be getting a check for whatever it is that you're entitled to um, within literally a few weeks. Now, sometimes there are some delays depending on the situation, but generally speaking, my clients end up getting a check anywhere from three to six weeks. So imagine about a month or so approximately. Yep. 
And it's because, you know, insurance companies are bureaucratic entities. Some of them send you checks from their offices across the country. The point is, it's very, very quick. The exception to this is in disability cases where instead of settling your claim in a lump sum, meaning here's a check for whatever we've agreed to, uh, they will pay you for your retroactive pay from when they cut you off until the date of the settlement. And then they will reinstate you so that you continue receiving benefits monthly. So that's an exception to the rule. But generally speaking, in insurance and injury type cases, when there is a settlement, you should be getting your settlement funds fairly quickly. If for whatever reason you don't, you should be checking with your lawyer and seeing what's going on. I always make sure my clients are apprised of any efforts that we have to get the funds in. And and there's always communication between me and the defense lawyers. Now, can you reopen your case later? Right. Uh, no, that's the whole point of a settlement. Insurance companies want certainty. Get you off the books. Exactly. No. And, and John, because of the show and because of the information we give out, on a weekly basis, I get people calling me saying, I settled with my lawyer for X amount, but after listening to you, I'm convinced that I should have gotten a lot more. There was duress. There was duress. I was forced to sign. Well, you're going to have a problem proving that. Unless there was a gun to your head, you know, the law of duress is very specific. It's extremely an extremely high bar to meet. Uh, most likely, if you had a lawyer that helps you settle the case, you will not be able to reopen the case. I'm never going to say never, but you know you have to be very careful when you settle to make sure that you understand exactly what you're settling, how much you're settling for, what is the breakdown. Everything has to be transparent. And if it's not, it's a red flag. Next question I know you get after that one is taxable. Ah, if it's taxable. Yep. Well, personal injury uh, claims are not taxable. Mm-hmm. Long-term disability claims, uh, the retroactive portion is taxable. So if they cut you off for six months, you got it. Exactly. Well, and again, it depends. Okay. It depends. If um, if you had paid into the policy, if you were the one paying for the policy when you were not disabled, right? It wasn't your employer. It was just you. You're not going to be taxed on a settlement, just like you wouldn't be taxed on the monthly amounts you get from the LTD insurer. If, however, your employer or someone contributed to the plan other than just you, most likely you will be taxed. Some of it. So, well, yeah, the retroactive amount. Generally speaking, the future amount, so if you settle a long-term disability claims and you settle for a retroactive amount, in other words, they cut you off a year ago and we are settling so that the insurance company pays you for that year they cut you off, mm-hmm. as well as an additional five years, let's say, right. that one year in the past will likely be taxable if, in fact, you were not the only one who paid for your coverage, if your employer had paid for your coverage or contributed to the payment of the coverage. So that tells I mean, that, that alone tells you one thing that, uh, you know, when this happens to you, you should get on it right away. 100%. Because, because you could be in for a big yes. tax bill if you sit back on you it. You got it. Tell so your lawyer that. Exactly. So right. I get contacted by people who have lawyers uh, who, you know, they tell me that their disability claim has been ongoing for three years. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on for a second. Your benefits are taxable. So when it comes time to settle your case, if you settle, you're going to have three years worth of retroactive disability, long-term disability money that's going to be taxed. Yeah. That's why we try to push these things so quickly through the system to make sure that we can, you know, settle the case and get as much as we can for the futures because those are not going to be taxed. Nice. Good, uh, we'll finish up with an email today. Sarah from Toronto says, my husband is on LTD, a long-term disability for a chronic back condition. He's 52. He's about to go to the insurance company's doctor that they've scheduled for him next week. Any advice on what he should expect? We're, uh, we're afraid that they may stop payments depending on what this doctor says. My husband's chronic pain doctor says that he can't go back to work, so it's going to be uh, them versus us, right? That's right. And Sarah, that's a very valid concern. Oftentimes, insurance doctors hired by the insurance companies will provide opinions favorable to the insurance company, meaning that they say that this person is either not disabled, not disabled enough 
to have the benefits continue or provide some treatment recommendations and say that, oh, if that person follows all these treatments, they should be okay. So the point is the insurance adjusters, insurance companies sometimes take those opinions and use them as a trigger to cut the person off or give the person a certain timeline and say, you know, after six months, if you do all these treatments, you should not be on our plan anymore. You know, they give you a heads up. So you're asking me, what should your husband do when he goes to see that uh, insurance doctor? Be truthful. Be tr- be, make sure that you follow whatever instructions the doctor gives. Make sure that you provide all the information the doctor gives. Don't exaggerate. Don't underplay symptoms either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very important, okay? You're not Superman here. Uh, your job is to be as truthful as you can. And Sarah, my advice is this. Make sure that you ask the adjuster for a copy of the doctor's report because oftentimes when you look at what the doctor writes down, there are mistakes or there are incongruities with what the person who underwent the assessment says happened, right? A person says, I never told the doctor that. And doctor says, no, here's what the person told me. So make sure that you go through that with a fine tooth comb and make sure that if there's anything that needs challenging, if you need to let the insurance adjuster know that there are inaccuracies, make sure you do that in writing via email, preferably. Have a record of it. Have a record of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if in fact, Sarah, you and your husband get this call or email uh, communication from the insurance adjuster that the claim is in jeopardy for whatever reason, perhaps because of this doctor's anticipated opinion, make sure you call me or email me and I will deal with it. To wrap it up, that number is 416-216-5910. You want to send an email anytime now that the show is over, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and making you aware of a couple of websites you can use anytime. The first one been around for a couple of years now, really handy, called injurycalculator.ca. Find out what your pain and suffering could be worth and fight for my ltd.com as well. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640.